G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. My adoptive dad had remembered my mother's last name. And so when I looked up the Melbourne phone book, there were only 13 in there. So it wasn't much of a challenge to think we could ring through 13 phone numbers. So on the last call, I got this elderly gentleman. He said he would speak to his daughter and he would call me back about two o'clock the next day. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, a couple of years ago on the program, we heard Helen Marsh share her life journey and how she was forced to give her baby up for adoption when she was only 14 years old, never knowing if she would ever see her daughter again. Then, nearly 30 years later, she received a phone call from her daughter, Jan, who had been searching for her. Today, Jan shares her side of the story and what led her to find her mother and how the Lord had been working in her life through it all. That's all coming up as Jan White shares her life journey with us. Jan is chatting with Eric Scatterbo from her home in the southeastern suburbs of Melbourne. Jan White, welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. It's lovely to be here. Glad to have you with us, and we want to hear how you were finally reunited with your mother. But first, we want to find out a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up after you were adopted? Um, I was seven days old when I was taken home by my adoptive parents to a little town called Gagari in the country of Victoria. And um, it was a small country town, middle-class families, and uh, my father worked at the local dairy factory, and he drove milk tankers. And my mother was a homemaker who did the occasional seasonal work. It was a very free life there. It was, you know, we were riding bikes and could go to the next door neighbours' houses. And uh, it was a really enjoyable place, actually, to grow up in a small town. And was faith a part of your life growing up? Um, As you asked that, I remember back to the fact that um, part of the conditions of my mother and father adopted me from the sisterhood home that was a Presbyterian sisterhood home, was that they actually sent me to church and they took me to church. But my father never went. My mother took me and I have just a few memories of her coming occasionally. But in those primary school years, it was me going by myself. It was a very small town, so I could walk there. And, you know, I look back and I see that was a time that God was sowing into my life. I have some vivid memories, um, but not a lot of memories from that time. Did you have any idea that you were adopted? Uh, I didn't, not in those early years. I would have to say in the early years, I was a very confident, happy child that was very friendly and, you know, I loved family gatherings and I loved getting together with my aunts and uncles and um, what happened along the way was I I noticed that my mum got very jealous of me when I went to other family members and... um, She suffered a lot of insecurity, my mother, and she'd had a lot of hurts in her younger years. And so she felt like a bit of a betrayal if I went to others. And, you know, that impacted me growing up that I would then be very sensitive to mum because of that. Yes. So 
my father, he just worked a lot and he was um, pretty dedicated to the job that he was doing and, and Dad didn't really have a lot of family time with us. He would often say he couldn't have that because he was working. So I really became very much mum's friend and I really hungered for family and family gatherings. Mm-hmm. It was probably around the age of about eight or nine. I can remember going into my mother's and father's room and we were talking, I would often go and sit on the bed of a morning and talk to them and for some reason I asked if I was adopted and I have no idea why I was asking them that at this time and they told me yes and, you know, it didn't shock me. I didn't feel overwhelmed by it all and this story unfolded that they had gone to the home and they were looking for a a little girl and they found me and they brought me home. So... I got this great little story that I think it made me feel quite important that I had this story. I struggled with friendships at school for a period of time and I think this kind of just helped me to feel like I had some significance. And so I would tell people I was adopted like it was a a really special title. Oh, so this was a positive thing for you? It was a positive thing at the time. But I look back and I see that after that, You know, I was having a few insecurities, but then I really started to feel like I didn't measure up. And Mm. I would see cousins treated one way by grandparents and thought that I was treated differently. And, you know, it was my perception. It wasn't a reality. And if any realities were there, it was just circumstances of life and who lived closer and who had more time. And because my family weren't creating that atmosphere of family, You know, I took this all very personally and I felt that it was because of me and I was really second best. So my inferiority and insecurity started to really grow. Then going into your teenage years, what happened next? Yeah, it got worse. I just found it hard with friendships. I was searching for a best friend. I was searching for someone just for me. I was hungering for family. I was hungering for friendships. And I did have friends, but I could only go so far in a friendship. I just really didn't know how to do them well. And so a lot of the insecurities continue to grow into the fact where I just felt like I couldn't continue at school. It was too much. So I actually left at the end of year nine and got a job and went out to work. And for me, all I wanted to do was find a husband and get married. I wanted to create my own family. I wanted to create what I felt like was missing in my life. So I was just going to interrupt here to say, do you realize how much your life parallels your mother's life, your birth mother's life? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Because she was the same way, it sounds like, more or less at that age in her life, wanting family and having children and all that. Yeah. I just thought that was very interesting that you didn't even know each other, but yet your lives were somewhat parallel. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Okay, I just wanted to interject with that observation there. Uh, Interesting. And then you were married at 17? Yes, um, I was actually engaged at 16. I met my husband. Like I said, all I wanted to do was get married. Mm -hmm. So I met Ray and we got married when I was 17 and a half. And we were just both dysfunctional people. How so? Well, I was insecure and very jealous. Ray was a very confident person. He could talk to anyone. So 
if he talked to another female, I got jealous. And so all those insecurities just I carried, continually carried, and they just got worse. So my insecurities in who I was and how important I was, my jealousies. And then, of course, Ray, we went into the marriage with Ray having a problem with alcohol. Like it was a culture of the day. And being in a small country town, that guys like to get together and drink. And Ray travelled around Australia. So he had a culture of drinking. And I, I grew up with some of that culture in my own family. And um, it was accepting. And yet I wanted more for my life. I wanted more for my family. So it caused lots of arguments and stresses between us. You're listening to The Story. Today, Helen Marsh's daughter, Jan White, is sharing her life journey with Eric Scadabo. As we've heard on a past program, Helen was only 14 years old when she had to give her baby up for adoption, never knowing if she would ever see her daughter again. Today, we're hearing Jan's perspective and what her life was like growing up as an adopted child. Next, we'll hear more of Jan's story and how she was finally reunited with her mother, Helen. All that and more when we return. The Story... If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, Helen Marsh's daughter, Jan White, is sharing her life journey with us. In the past, we've heard Helen share her life experiences, which she's written about in her book called Up Out of Egypt. This time, we're hearing Jan's perspective and what led to her searching for her birth mother and how they were finally reunited after being separated for nearly 30 years. Jan's continuing her chat with Eric Scadabo. And then, eventually, you wanted to find your birth mother. Yes. Well, I actually had had four children by this time, so I was creating my family unit. And yet, even though I had these four beautiful children, three girls and a, and a boy, and was just loving being a mother, I still was insecure and struggling in life. So... I did have a need in me, but my adoptive mother would often ask me along the years, would I like to know anything about my mother? And I didn't particularly know why she asked, but I would say no. I was so faithful and so careful that I didn't want to hurt my adoptive mum that I always said no. So however I felt about things, I would push that away and I would consider her feelings over mine until a day um, in my 20s and my mother decided to tell me that she knew I had a sister. Now, I had an adoptive brother and I love him dearly, but, you know, I was a little girl longing for a sister. So when she told me that, I think I was just blown away because, you know, naturally you think that, you know, you're birth parents you know would have children you naturally know there'd be siblings out there but I think for mum to tell me that she knew I had a sister just really shocked me and the fact that she knew so that particularly sent me into a, a real spiral of wondering well what can I do here how can I find my mother and you always wanted a sister 
course I always wanted a sister. It was probably the best news um, and it was probably the news that, you know, when I look back, God knew I needed that news because I was so caring of my adopted mother and so faithful to her. I might not have looked with information about a mother, but when I was told I had a sister, I was off and running. And where did that lead you? Well, I did all the things that, you know, at the time that all the information was starting to be made available to adoptees and natural parents through the Department of Social Services. So I wrote to them and I wrote to Copeland Street Home where records were kept and uh, got letters back and and was basically told that I had a seven-year wait. So, you know, I just had to lay that down. But it was just something that went through my head every day. And then one day I was reading an ad in our local little newspaper and it was for an adoption support group. So I contacted a few ladies that had started this support group off and we had a conversation and I went and met with them and it was great to be around other people who were going through the same thing that I was going through and some of them had made contact. So we met on a monthly basis. But very, very soon after we met, they said, oh, we'll come round to your house one day and we'll help make some phone calls. And the really good thing was, was my adoptive dad had remembered my mother's last name being Shellcross. And so when I looked up the Melbourne phone book, there were only 13 in there. So wasn't much of a challenge to think we could ring through 13 phone numbers. So they were helping me with that. And first time we did it, we didn't really get anywhere. And I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I just sensed in me that we were going down a wrong path. So we sort of stopped and we left it for about a week. And then it was almost like God was speaking to me, even though I didn't truly know him. But he was saying, you have a go yourself. You do this yourself. So I made that call and there was only about three left and um, on the last call I got this elderly gentleman and I was telling a bit of a story. I was saying that I was doing a family tree for someone and I was looking for a lady who'd had a baby at 15 and he just very casually said, well, my daughter had a baby. And you can imagine my heart was starting to flutter and and I was so nervous and I started to get very shaky and I kept saying, is it was this the date the baby was born? And he couldn't remember. So he said he would speak to his daughter and he would call me back about two o'clock the next day. Wow, I can imagine what was going through your heart and mind at that time. Pretty excited. I was very excited, very overwhelmed. Um, The next 24 hours took a, a very long time to go. But I was ready for that call the next day. And so my mother rang and I answered the phone. And then I had to come up with this confession that I wasn't doing a family tree for someone, that I was actually the daughter that she'd given up. And she started to cry. And um, I was cool. I was calm. Um, I don't know where that came from. But in that moment, while she was, you know, very emotional, I was very collected. Perhaps that was a little bit of shock. But we talked and she said I had to make sure and she checked the dates and everything was falling into line. So we made plans from that Friday for me to come and meet on the following Tuesday to go to Melbourne. So, you know, we're from Gagari. That's a three to three and a half hour journey. I think the the hardest part was leaving that phone call. 
I'm excited. I'm about to meet this mother that gave me up. But I then had to go over and tell my my adoptive parents that I'd made contact. They knew I was on this journey. And while supportive, I was still careful not to give mum and dad, particularly mum, too much information. Dad was pretty okay with everything, but mum still had her pain and her hurt and the fear of losing her daughter. So I went over to tell them and and mum broke down. So that was really hard, Eric. Mm. Yeah, so you really wanted to protect her. Absolutely. I lived most of my childhood wanting to be my mother's protector of all her hurts. It was a role that was a pretty heavy one to carry as a a young child and I don't think I realised till adulthood how much it didn't allow me to just sometimes be a little girl and have my own emotions. I did that often. But nonetheless... You went to Mowern to meet your birth mother. I did. There was nothing stopping me. And um, so my adoptive parents looked after the children and Ray and I went off to Melbourne. And there's, you know, really funny story attached to that, which I won't share. But yes, we got there and Ray had to help me get out of the car when we were parked out the front of their house and I could hardly walk. And I got to the front door and my mum opened the door and what do you do? You just hug So we just hugged each other and, you know, a few tears and it was just such an emotional time. You know this is someone you're related to, but you don't know them. So, you know, Ray was very good on talking to her while I gathered myself together and then we went into the kitchen and we started to talk and uh, it was all very casual and just you know there were questions being asked by mum and I was asking a few questions but mainly we were just kind of being together and just getting to know one another a little and I'd taken photo albums so uh, she was able to see pictures of the family and then my stepdad came home with some flowers for both of us at lunchtime and I thought that was beautiful because I didn't usually receive flowers so that was a real treat for me and then my sister came And my sister was as bad as me, if not worse, and she could hardly walk in the door. And then she came in and she was a crying, blubbering mess. And I was crying and we were just holding each other and didn't want to let go. So you finally got to meet your long lost sister who you didn't even know you had. Yeah. And that was just beautiful. (laughs) That was really beautiful just to, to meet this sister that I'd always desired. And, um... It was great because, you know, when you're adopted, you're not really like anyone in your family. So we sat there and we compared our our hands and our knees and saw the similarities in each other. And, um, and you know, I could see that in my mother as well. Like there was no denying I belonged to this family. Wow. I mean, it's just unbelievable how your lives were so similar, but yet you had never met, well, other than right when you were born. Yes, our personalities were very similar. Mm-hmm. Our insecurities, our... Um, Your deep desire for family and absolutely. belonging. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we just, it was, I suppose that kind of was really helpful when I met the family to, to have those identifications with them. But, you know, it was beautiful. And three weeks later, you know, we went back with all my children and mum had the rest of my siblings come round, my brothers, and I met the rest of the family. And they were all wonderful. They were all just beautiful to me. And 
I just felt so blessed. When I was a part of the support group, the adoption support group, there were many stories and some of them were, were good and some of them were very broken. And the girls used to say to me, oh, yours is like a fairy tale. Your story's just a fairy tale. And I used to feel very blessed at the fact that I was welcomed, that I was accepted. Um, but as time went on and continually going down to visit with the family and that and seeing how they had all their past history together, they knew how to joke together. It was wonderful to get to know them, but I I struggled at where I fit and sometimes I would have to take myself off into the bedroom and just cry and let it out. And I took what I did with my adoptive mother into this relationship. In fact, I actually got a letter from my granddad very soon after we met and it was a beautiful letter and he was a beautiful man and I'm so thankful that I got to meet him um, before he passed. But he sent this letter. This was your birth grandfather? Yes, this is the one I made contact with on the phone. And he sent this letter to say it was welcoming me, uh, but it was also saying that Helen had her life together now. So I, I, I wasn't offended, but I almost took that as a warning that don't make waves, don't start stirring up the family, you know. And that's not what he was saying, but that's what I was perceiving. So... Once again, I was careful that I didn't rock the boat, that I didn't, when I was feeling, you know, maybe hurt, insecure, when I had questions, you know, my kids were asking me questions and I'm saying, I can't answer that. I couldn't ask that. Um, you know, we've got to be sensitive. And, and so I carried that into this relationship as well. Yeah, so it sounds like a theme in your life is kind of stuffing things down, believing that would be the best to help other people rather than kind of meeting your needs to have questions answered. Yes, that's right. Okay, we're going to have to stop it there as we've run out of time for this first part of our conversation with Jan White, who's the daughter of our past guest, Helen Marsh. But we invite you to join us again next time to hear more of Jan's story. As we've heard, Jan and Helen were separated for nearly 30 years because Helen was forced to give Jan up for adoption when she was only 14 years old. It was great to hear how they were finally reunited. Also, it was fascinating to hear that although they had lived completely separate lives, they had so much in common. Both Jan and Helen had an insecurity that drove them to get married and start a family at a young age, believing that this would bring the security and fulfilment that they had both longed for. However, as wonderful as a family is, it was not enough to make their insecurities go away. And, as we'll hear next time, it wasn't until they both found their security and value in their relationship with God that they finally found true fulfilment. Jan says she found her true value in God as reflected in Psalm 139, which says, For you, Lord, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Well, if you'd like to learn more about Jan and her mother Helen's story and how they were finally reunited, you can read about it in Helen's book, Up Out of Egypt. You can get that book through the website upoutofegypt.com. That's upoutofegypt.com. 
Com. Once again, we invite you to join us again next time for more of Jan's story as we find out how God has been working in her life since being reunited with her mother. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. It got really bad. I got really bad. I started to really struggle and my perceptions were way out of whack of, you know, where I fit and, and how she felt about me and I, I felt sick whenever she rang, um, my stomach would be churning and, you know, I had this desire to talk to her, I wanted to be loved by her, but I also wanted to just push her away. Once again, Helen Marsh's daughter Jan shares more about how she and her mother were reunited after being separated for nearly 30 years and about some of the challenges they faced trying to establish a relationship after being apart for so long. All that and more is coming up next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.